You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 94. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there, my name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. This is the second part of my interview with the amazing Phil Lamar. Phil's roles in animation include Hermes Conrad in Futurama, the John Stewart Green Lantern in Justice League, Kit Fisto in Star Wars Clone Wars, and the title character in Samurai Jack. I'm incredibly grateful to Phil for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to my listeners. In the previous episode, Phil discussed some of the challenges he faced during the first year he decided to pursue acting as a full-time career. Those experiences made him really take stock of his situation and decide if acting was something he truly wanted to do. He realized that he actually had some personal judgments about how one should pursue acting, and those limiting beliefs were keeping him from progressing. Once he let go of those judgments, he started to see things change. In this episode, we discuss the details of how those changes began to take shape. Phil's enthusiasm for improvisational acting had a profound effect on the trajectory of his career. It was the opportunities that his improvisational skills opened up for him that eventually gave him a chance to start working as a voice actor. We begin this segment of our chat with me asking him to give a quick recap of how his acting career began. And now, the feature segment. Let's go. Let's continue. When you were having all so, these crazy experiences, oh yeah, I can I can uh, shorten it up. Um, we I I started taking the Groundlings classes to get a taste for the improv that I had been doing. So, and the uh, cold reading workshop, the guy who was d- doing the workshop was starting a management company. Mm. Um, so he liked the work I did in the cold reading workshop. So he said, "Hmm, I'm, g- I'm starting out as a manager. Would you like to be my client?" I'm like, uh, okay. And it was the sort of thing where I think earlier in the year, I was like, I think managers are ridiculous. It's, a, it's not even a real job. It's like, you know, consultant in the business world. What do you really do? <laughs> but I was being pragmatic. I'm like, sure, why not? Yeah. What does it hurt? He got me an agent. Uh-huh. Um, a real, it was with Bauman Hiller for, for years. And I started, and luckily, I had my uh, union card from the cartoon that I did in high school. Right. And so they got started sending me out on television and movie auditions. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was taking the classes at the Groundlings. It started out as mostly for myself, just to be able to do some improv. But the way it's structured, it's like, well, once you finish the basic improv class, then you take intermediate. Like, oh, okay, so to keep doing this, I have to take the next level? All right, sure. So I had two uh, paths going at the same time. Mm-hmm. I was being sent out for things uh, professionally, mm-hmm. and I was doing, um, and mostly drama at the beginning. Then I was doing the improv comedy stuff um, on, the, on the side. 
And eventually it began to cross over and people would call the groundlings looking for funny people. And at the time there were very few, and I think, actually I think at this time as well, there were very few people of color at the groundlings. So if anybody ever called the groundlings looking for anybody of color, my name came up. Right. Because there was nobody in the main company. And I think I was at the second level class at that point. They had to go all the way down to second level class to find, because, you know, when someone, when a casting person calls, they don't want to say, no, we don't have anybody. Yeah. It's like, yes, we We have a young person in our program who might be great. Yeah. So I began to get work Mm -hmm. from my side gig. Right. And then I began to get work through the regular channels as well. Right. Um, And those two things sort of collided. Um when I got Mad TV, mm. because I auditioned for Mad TV, which was a Fox show. I had been guest starring on a bunch of sitcoms by that point, because this is now uh, six, seven years after I came came home from college. Uh-huh. Um, so you'd been working for uh, six or seven years at the Groundlings with yeah. this management and agent mm. um, before the audition for Mad TV. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, let's see, that was 95. I'd say around 92, 93, 92 or 93, I w- was making a living. Mm. Okay. You know, kept my overhead very low, mm-hmm. but that way I could afford to just live off my earnings as an actor. Right. You know, I was also doing... Uh, ADR, part of Loop Groups, mm, okay, which sure. was wonderful. Um, and again, tangentially related to the voice work. Um, and then when I did Mad TV, it was auditioning for a Fox sitcom or a Fox show. The people at Fox knew me from my guest work on their sitcoms, mm. but I had this. I was using the skills that I developed on the, the my secondary path at the Groundlings, writing characters, writing sketches. You know, I'm like, oh, I've, I know all this stuff. I've been doing it for six years. Right. Um, and at that point, I was in the main company. Um, so that's where it all sort of came together. And, you know, I mean, getting on a pilot is a wonderful, you know, rare thing. Getting on a pilot that becomes a series that continues to run is like a double lottery win. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got very, very, very lucky. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, oh. And this, this, I'm going to bring it all the way back. Yeah. During this time, like from 90 on, mm-hmm. I said, God, I really should do voiceover. I'd love to do voiceover. And there was a friend of mine who was an actress in New York, and we would get on the phone occasionally and be like, are you, you should be doing voiceovers. Like she, she would say, you should be doing voiceovers. I know we both should be doing voice. All right. This year, we're going to do it, right? Okay. Yeah. Going to get a tape made. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Talk to each other next year. Did you do it? No. You really should be in voiceover. I know. And it uh, and it just never happened until in the first season of Mad, we did these claymation pieces mm-hmm. uh, produced by a guy named Corky Quakenbush, um, and they were parodies of things. You know, there was a parody of cops called Clops. They were clay cops. There was a we, they took the Rankin Bass uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, yeah. And said, well, what if we mix that with a, like, Scorsese gangster movie? And it's just like this ultra-violent, bloody Rudolph (laughs) thing. And they, since all of the cast were already being paid for the episodes, they didn't want to have to pay anybody else. So we all became voiceover artists. Yeah. 
voicing these characters that the writers, you know, because the writers were writing these like they were other sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got me some time behind a mic again mm-hmm. and in a much better way than I had back in high school. I mean, mm-hmm. this was quality stuff. It was very funny. And we had to do multiple, multiple characters. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there's only so many of you. And we got all, we've written all these characters, so you're all going to do them. Yeah. You know? And that was also the nature of the, uh, the show itself. Mm-hmm. We would do impressions. We would do original characters. You know? And you know, there were 10, 12 sketches uh, per show. So you had to do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. And eventually that led me into voiceover in that same way. Like when I started in animation... You know, said, okay, well, we need you to do this character plus two more. I'm like, cool. Yeah, you're exactly, yeah, like, yeah. only Why two. Why wouldn't I? Right. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? Usually I have to satisfy 10. Right. <laughs> like, um, yeah, and so that's how I got back into And the casting people who cast Mad TV also were the casting people on Futurama. That helps. Yeah, so yeah. They, they brought me in. Um, and Dave Herman also to audition for Futurama. It's like, oh, these guys are great at, you know, characters and they're very funny. So you should look at them. And got to meet David Cohen and Matt Groening through that. Gotcha. Know. And when you made that transition, because I, 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 if I remember correctly, there was a time when one of the writers on Mad TV asked you if there were any other characters you wanted to play or any other things, and you're like, nope, I'm done. I'm, I've had my fill, right? Yeah, I mean. It was, there were some really, really talented people who came through that show, but ultimately the structure, the show itself was dysfunctional and not a great working environment. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, by the fifth year, and I, and I felt bad because new cast members would come in and new writers would come in and they're so excited because for them, they're joining a show that's been on the air for four years. Yeah. Oh my God, guys, the stuff you guys have been doing is great. Like, oh, thanks. For us, it was the job, and we were always on the chopping block, and we didn't see ourselves as an established comedy thing. Yeah. We were just like struggling to get through, and every year they cut the budget, you know, and the producers would, you know, promise one thing and not do the other. It's like, we're still not getting paid to write. So, you know how it is. Yeah. When you're when you're working in the factory, you don't get to see the cars. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, dude, I, I put the screws on doors. <laughs> I'm glad you like the doors. Right, right. <laughs> um so yeah, I could tell I was getting burnt out. And yeah. when my contract was up, it was sort of we all knew it's like, well, we're you're not coming back. When you made that switch, did your agent who had represented you during Mad TV, were they the people who represented you in the voiceover world? Or did you end up getting new representation to work more in the voiceover world? Well, I got, this is actually very interesting because there was a commercial agent who uh, represented some of the people on Mad TV and, some, and a lot of groundlings. And he said, oh, I would love to represent you for commercials. Like, I really hate the idea of doing commercials. Because um, I had had a commercial agent when, in, in my first couple of years, mm. and I just didn't get commercial acting. And you're talking about on-camera commercials. On-camera commercials. Yeah, yeah. I didn't understand whether it was supposed to be bad acting, good acting, no acting, just be. You know, I, I, I didn't know. I had friends who booked commercials left and right. It's like, oh, it's easy. You know, like, you know, and as an improviser, it's supposed to be like, dude, you should, you, you should be booking left and right. And like, never booked a commercial. Yeah. And this guy came up to me and said, well, would you want to do commercials? Like, mm, do you have a voiceover department? 
He's like, yes, we do. It's like, all right, if you will hook me up with your voiceover department, I will let you send me out for commercials, which was like yeah. a crazy deal. But that was one of the benefits of being on a TV show. Yeah. Because I, I could leverage that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it turned out I, there was a guy named Kelly Garner at Abrams um, Artists who had, was starting a voiceover department. He didn't even have like an office. Mm. They were like, his assistant was like on a table outside his office. Mm. And he built their voiceover department mm. out of nothing. Wow. And I got on board right at that time. And he was a go-getter. And so my career built at the same time that agency uh, department. Uh, yeah, the, 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 that department was being built. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was great. The energy was fantastic. Um, and I think it was also the cable explosion in animation mm-hmm. had started a, f- a few years before that. Mm-hmm. But we were still reaping the benefits. The door was a, more open. Mm-hmm. than it had been in the previous days. You know, sure. Pre-cable, there was, so, there was so little animation, relatively speaking, being done mm-hmm. that the same six guys, Don Messick, you know, and, and everybody else, the same six guys, you know, could all do all the jobs. Mm-hmm. They didn't need any people. Else. Yeah. But once all these cable channels started, you know, you know Nickelodeon, we're doing 24 hours of kids programming. Yeesh. We need more cartoons. Yeah. And so... All of a sudden, there was more work than Frank Welker could do, <laughs> which is impressive. Yes, exactly. Frank can do a lot of work. <laughs> and so there was now it was easier to get a foot in there, mm-hmm. you know, because pr- before that, I think people uh, rightfully uh, saw voiceover as a closed shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but all these things sort of came together, uh, and uh, t- and for me, it was it was a it was a boon. It was great. Yeah. And uh, are you still with Abrams now? No, no. Um, Kelly left to become a manager. The people who came in under him were there, and then all of a sudden they went off to start Imperium 7. Mm. Um, And they were all just smart and driven. And and so I was faced with the thing, okay, do I stay with the people from commercials at Abrams who are now coming up to run the voiceover department? But then these are not the people who built this. These mm-hmm. are not the people I know. Yeah. Um, well, do I go with them to this unknown, untested entity? I'm like, who starts a new voiceover agency? I've never heard of anyone starting a new voiceover agency. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is. It was going to be strictly voiceover. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I had been approached um, by what was then the ICM voiceover department. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, would you want to... And... God, what year was this? 2000... Two, something like that, mm. and I had a choice. Like, well, do you go with you know the 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 fellow who brought you to the dance, mm-hmm. who's now going someplace else? Mm-hmm. Do you stay where you are, or do you try something new? And ultimately, I decided, let me try the big agency thing. I've the never ICM. done that in my on-camera career, mm-hmm. um, just because I was was afraid to get lost in the wash. Sure, but I felt like you know what, what I need now. My animation career felt secure. Mm-hmm. I felt like the nine women who do all the casting knew me and knew whether or not they wanted to use me. Right. Um, so if I was going to work, I would work. Mm-hmm. They would be able to find me. Mm-hmm. What I wasn't getting was commercials, mm-hmm. and commercials is a volume game. Mm-hmm. So, well, maybe a large agency mm-hmm. might be the fix. Right. 
took a chance, rolled the dice. Gotcha. And I've been happily with them for 12 years now. Wow. And did it help with the commercial stuff in terms of... It did. Yeah. It did. Um, although, surprisingly... Um, the voiceover commercials we're talking yeah, about, Yes, right? that's what we're talking about, voiceover. Um, and I, I, I still don't do a ton of commercial stuff, mm-hmm. but I do some, mm-hmm. you know, every couple, every year. Um, but it was also nice having um, that strength in the animation thing. Although it doesn't really make any difference because we're all scale players, by and large, you know, in animation. There's not like a lot of hard-fisted negotiation going on. Right. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't realize that, that television animation is largely a scale business, which means that there is, there's the union minimum that they must pay you, and that's what you get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of how many times, you know, what other fantastic shows you've done, when you start a new show, you get paid the base rate. Yeah. You know, I remember Frank Welker and I worked on a show at Cartoon Network, and I remember seeing his contract one time, and I was amazed that even Frank was getting scale. What I was getting. Yeah. It's like, he's been doing this for like 30 years. It's like, well, what happens is Frank doesn't work on Fridays or Mondays. You know, so the benefit is they work the schedule around him because they want him. Right. But they don't pay him more money because they want him. Interesting. Although I think Scooby-Doo would be a different animal. Like, once you've been doing something for... Three decades. Yeah. You might get a bump. Yeah. Things in the, yeah. Yeah. Things, yeah. Something that's got that kind of legs, that kind of franchise. So that's a really um, wonderfully detailed and sort of global story of, of the sort of the, the hard knocks, right? The, the challenges, because uh, people don't always want to share that because that doesn't make for good sound bites. But exactly. for those who are actually trying to figure out how to do this, you know, the people who want to become the cooks and not just the people dining in the restaurant, right. you've got to go back in the kitchen and see the scraps that got locked, left on the floor to figure out, you know, what had to be whittled away to get <laughs> to the wonderful dish of food that then gets taken out that no one knows how they made it. I know. It's funny because I always talk to people about the intangible steps. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the auditions that you don't get that... That person who was a junior person on the project before now has their own project next year, and they remembered what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and that's that's why you can't get too focused on results. Mm-hmm. For me, it's I can't control the decision. I can only control my performance. Right. So I have to make sure that that is the best it can be, and ultimately that may not be enough for me to get the part. Because mm-hmm. there are so many other factors. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I do my best, and if I do a great job, mm-hmm. even if it's not what's needed right now in this part, there may be some added benefit down the road. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've had that. I've had people say, we remembered your audition for this thing you didn't get. Mm-hmm. And that's why we brought you back for this thing. Right. I love the way Phil emphasizes how focusing on his process is far more important and helpful than stressing out over results. Too often I see aspiring voice actors get wrapped up in the external trappings of a successful voice acting career. They want to make sure they have just the right demo and just the right agent. They want to know where to get all the best auditions and how to impress all the industry people with whom they may come in contact. 
The problem is that they often want to pursue these goals before their acting abilities are professionally competitive. Over and over, I try to help them understand that they are putting the cart before the horse. The first and most important asset you must develop before anything else is your acting ability. If your acting is not professionally competitive, your demo will not stand out. Agents will not be interested in representing you. You won't be able to win auditions, and no industry professional will be interested in collaborating with you. You must become professionally competitive as an actor first. How does one become professionally competitive? By focusing on your acting process and developing your skills by working with as many talented teachers, directors, and fellow voice actors as possible. Your acting education and development must be your top priority. Polish your acting skills until they shine, and opportunities will appear. In the next episode, I ask Phil to talk about what inspired him to become an actor. I really resonated with his answer to that question, and I think you will too. Until then, all the best in your voice acting endeavors, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.